glory to receive the honor. How do you do? It seems that in this world, the truth is getting harder and harder to find. That's why New City Fellowship of Atlantic City is proud to present to you the truth straight from God's Word. We hope you enjoy today's broadcast of New City's Sunday Sermon. All right, Matthew 10. A lot of stuff in there, so we're obviously not going to get to it all this morning. So I'm going to pick just a few verses to really deal with in our brief time together. I'm going to read the context a little bit, so at least you get the context, but then we're going to focus on verses 22 to 33. Let's stand together for the reading of God's inerrant word. Hear the word of God to you this morning. He called his 12 disciples to him and gave them authority to drive out evil spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. These are the names of the 12 apostles. First Simon, who was called Peter, and his brother Andrew. James, son of Zebedee, and his brother John. Philip and Bartholomew. Thomas and Matthew, the tax collector. James, son of Alphaeus and Thaddeus. Simon the Zealot, and Judas Iscariot, who betrayed him. These twelve Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Go rather to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, preach this message. The kingdom of heaven is near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received. Freely give. Do not take along any gold or silver or copper in your belts. Take no bag for the journey or extra tunic or sandals or a staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search for some worthy person there and stay at his house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, shake the dust off your feet when you leave that home or town. I tell you the truth, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. I am sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore be as shrewd as snakes and as innocent as doves. Be on your guard against men. They will hand you over to the local councils and flog you in their synagogues. On my account, you will be brought before governors and kings as a witness to them and to the Gentiles. But when they arrest you, do not worry about what, you, what to say or how to say it. At that time, you will be given what to say, for it will not be you speaking, but the Spirit of your Father speaking through you. Brother will betray brother to death, and a father his child. Children will rebel against their parents and have them put to death. All men will hate you because of me. But he who stands firm to the end will be saved. When you are persecuted in one place, flee to another. I tell you the truth, you will not finish going through the cities of Israel before the Son of Man comes. A student is not above his teacher, nor a servant above his master. 
It is enough for the student to be like his teacher and the servant like his master. If the head of the house has been called Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What is whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny? Yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. Thus ends the reading of God's holy, authoritative word. May he bless it to our hearts and to our lives this morning. You may be seated. I am a firm believer in foreign missions. People from all tribes, Jesus told us to go into all nations and make disciples. Amen? But sometimes I hear people saying, I want to go on a mission field. I believe I'm called to be a missionary. And then we say, oh, how many people have you led to the Lord in your town? Uh, Well, what about in your city? Uh, In your state? Uh, The point is, God calls us to be missionaries where we are. Amen? He calls us to bloom where we're planted. And then among those who are being witnesses where we live, some will be called to go foreign, on foreign soil. But the rest of us here, our calling is to testify to what Jesus has done on the cross, through His resurrection, and also in our own lives. Now, I was thinking about what do I preach uh, as we finish out the summer before we get back into our study on First Peter, what should, I, what should I bring to my people? And what hit me is this. Every time mission teams come, so I'm, I'm on fire about this. This is something that, that really drives me. One of the testimonies I often hear from them is this. They say, oh, we're just so, it's so neat. We go in here and we know God is with us because the children are so receptive. Or they say, we know that it was successful because everything went smoothly. And, and, I, and that's building in me, and it's building in me. And finally, I had to tell them at the end of the week this week, listen, I don't mean to rain on your parade or anything, but just because things go well, that doesn't mean God is with you, number one. Yeah, you can preach to me. Come on, amen. And all because things don't go well doesn't mean God didn't call you to go to that place. Matter of fact, more often than not, you know you struck a nerve when the devil starts getting nervous. You know that's right. When we start getting persecuted, when people shut the door and say, don't come here again, we're like, amen. Somebody's getting nervous. See, in church, it's all right. We're all here. We're listening to, to, to the word being preached. We're all praising the Lord. But out there, that's the devil's territory. He thinks he has the people there. So when we start, when we're in here, eh, they're doing their thing. When we go out to his territory, he don't like it. So what I thought about, I said, I thought of this passage. 
And I thought, as we go, one of the biggest fears, I've been a Christian since 1986, many of you know this, one of the biggest I fear, fears I see in God's people, and even in my own life at times, sad to say, it's a fear of witnessing. I mean, I got Christian people that say, Pastor, do, tell me to do anything in the church. I'll do it. Just don't tell me to tell somebody about Jesus. Am I preaching now? And what are we afraid of? This is what we're afraid of. We're afraid we're going to be mocked. Nobody likes to be mocked. We're afraid we're going to get laughed at. We're going to be ostracized. And the big fear that we all have is a fear, ever since we were little, is a fear of rejection. To have that door slammed, it's like, please, I will take anything else, but I can't stand being singled out and rejected. What's another thing we're afraid of? We're afraid that we're going to fail. Right? And that's when these teams come. They're so afraid that if they go and they don't have 100 kids on the tarp and everybody's not saying, can I receive Jesus right now? That they're a failure. Is that how God measures success? It's funny, my Bible talks about we sow the word. And as we sow the word, some seed falls on hard soil, some falls where it gets choked, etc., etc., and some, some actually falls on good soil, and it produces fruit. And you know what? That's not our responsibility. One of the things that we're, two more things, and I'll jump right into the text. Two things we're afraid of, and I've got to be honest with you, I don't like to see there's suffering. I don't enjoy suffering. <laughs> I mean, most of my young life was trying to avoid that as much as possible. I mean, I got it down to a science. I'm, I'm, I'm adding stuff up. Let's see. I want to go on this roller coaster, but I got to sit in the heat for an hour. That's suffering. The two-minute roller coaster ain't worth it. So I, I've gotten my life where I just avoid as much of the suffering as I possibly, and I'm like, ah. And so we don't witness because we don't like suffering. Suffering will come because people will say, stay away from that guy, he's a Jesus freak. And then you'll be labeled. Nobody wants to be labeled. And of course, the worst fear that all of us have until Jesus himself takes it away. And that's that last enemy. We're afraid of death. That's the ominous thing that hangs over us, doesn't it? The Bible talks about the devil holds us captive with fear of death until Jesus comes into our lives and he takes away that fear of death because he defeated the devil. Amen? And he no longer has that grip on us. He shouldn't anyway. And we're going to talk about that. Jesus knew that when he sent them out, this, in this text, let me just say this very quickly, in this text, there are some things that are very specific to those 12 disciples at that particular time. Like, for instance, in case you don't believe me, I'll give you a simple one. He says, don't go to the Gentiles. Stay in the house of Israel. How many of you are going to stay in the house of Israel? Not too many of you. Most of us haven't stepped foot on the quote-unquote holy land. He was talking, this was a time before Jesus' death and resurrection. It was before he sent them out beginning in Jerusalem, into Samaria, Judea, Judea, then Samaria, then the other ends of the earth. So this is early part of the mission. This is Jerusalem. So there are a number of other things in the text, and we could debate what they are, that are particular to those times. Having said that, there are a number of things that Jesus talks about in this first mission that carry on through all time until he comes again that will be really applicable to us as we go to bring the gospel 
to lost and dying people. And I, I'm going to just bring a few of them out. Time's sake, I'm picking three things within the very narrow verses that I mentioned. And what I want to show you from this text is this. As Jesus sends us out into his Father's harvest field, he instructs us to be three things. These are the three things I want to mention from the text, although there are many. He, he instructs us to be, number one, determined. We need to be determined. Secondly, he calls us to be daring. You know, people say, uh, somebody on the mission trip this week was, was talking about how, you know, uh, he wanted to witness, uh, there, there's a woman who used to, who's on his bus every morning, and she prays with people, and he says, man, I, I wish I could do that like her. He goes, but then they think I'm crazy. So I said to him, i got to be honest with you, you're already crazy. You might as well tell people about Jesus, amen? People already think you're nuts, so why not? No, so we need to be determined, we need to be daring, and last of all, we need to be devoted to Jesus. Because that's the bottom line. Who's your God? Who are you devoted to? Ultimately, who are you going to answer to? You're going to answer to your fears, you're going to answer to your peers, or you're going to answer to King Jesus. I don't know about you, but I want to go to a good master, one who pays good dividends, one who treats me with love and respect and dignity, though I don't deserve it. So let's look at the first thing. He calls us to be determined. As any worker in the Lord's harvest field knows, one of the most important qualities a faithful witness to Christ needs is determination. That's why Jesus spends so much time in this text and all over the New Testament, so much time forewarning his disciples about the opposition they will eventually face when they begin to take his word to evangelize the nations seriously. Jesus does a lot of warning. Did you ever notice that? <laughs> and in this text, he didn't want them to be shocked or to be surprised, or caught off guard. Now listen to this. When the authorities, because they were after the disciples, weren't they? When the fickle crowds who were saying, Hosanna in the highest, and then crucify him this next day. When the religious leaders, and even, here's the thing that can really throw us out of equilibrium, even when our own family members, right? The ones we'd never think are ready to hand us over to the authorities because they can't take the light that Jesus put in us, which is himself. He's in us. And the Bible tells us the light has come in the world, Jesus said it, but men love darkness instead, didn't they? One commentator put it this way, evangelism is often short-circuited when met with resistance. Anticipating persecution is an important principle that will help us to not lose heart. Let me put it to you this way. To be forewarned is to be forearmed. To know what's going to happen ahead of time is to be equipped when it happens. So you're not shocked. You're ready to go. You've got the gospel armor on. You're like, bring it on. And every now and then it doesn't come. You're like, oh, that's a good surprise. But I'll tell you what, nine times out of ten, something's getting hurled at you. You better be ready. Jesus said this to encourage us to show us we're on the right track when we lovingly and compassionately and humbly, not in the pride or on our high horse, share with them the good news about Jesus and call them to turn from their evil ways and to trust in him. This is what he says in verse 22. All men will hate you because of me. 
but he who stands firm to the end will be saved. Jesus is saying in effect in this passage to his disciples and now through the word of God to us, steady, stay the course. The pain you're experiencing is not a sign or evidence of your father's displeasure. Rather, the pain you're experiencing is beautiful evidence that you're one of mine, that you belong to me, that you bear the name Christian, holy to the Lord. Hallelujah. What do you expect? They hated me, and I'm perfect. How do you think they're going to treat you and think of you? How can we expect anything else? That's what I want everyone to understand. We're not above our master, right? He's the king. What does he get for associating himself with us? What did he get? Nails, right? A spear. Is it any wonder that we're going to face persecution for associating ourselves with him, the crucified one? Everybody wants to follow a winner. Who wants to follow a loser? In the world of the eyes, Jesus, in, in the eyes of the world, Jesus lost. <laughs> Remember that one thief said, Why don't you save you can't even save yourself? To the Greeks, this is foolishness. Right? To the Jews, it's a stumbling block. But to those who are being saved, those who believe, it's the power of God unto salvation. Uh, Paul said this to the believers in Philippi, and it's something we need to remember. For it has been granted to you on behalf of Christ not only to believe on him, we all like that part, right? But to suffer with him. Oh, some of us didn't get that memo, amen? But they go together to believe and to suffer. That's the calling on this side of glory. Bob Dylan, I love this, this song, I Believe in You. Believe it or not, he was singing about following Jesus. He had a couple albums that were actually gospel albums, but I love this one line. He says, I don't mind the pain. I don't mind the driving rain. I know I will sustain because I believe in you. We can be determined even in the midst of persecution knowing that we are trotting where our Savior trod before us. Persecution should only make us more determined to witness to Christ. Knowing that we're only being treated like that because we're in His company and because we bear His name. We say this, we'll go to the next thing I want to show you from the text. So many times our witnessing efforts end before they even begin because we fear failure and we forget that we have not failed when people reject Jesus despite our best efforts to present Him lovingly, compassionately, and boldly. The only failure in witness, remember this if you don't remember anything else about this point, the only failure in witness is failing to witness. That's heavy, isn't it? That's the only way we could fail is by not listening to Him and doing what He says. Second thing, we are to be determined Stay firm to the end and not let anyone shake us in our witness. 
They, these are our marching orders. This isn't some Christian theologian or some pastor who has a following that decides, hey, let's get the people together to witness. This is Jesus. The second thing, daring. Look at verse 26. I'm following. So do not be afraid of them. There is nothing concealed that will not be disclosed or hidden that will not be made known. What I tell you in the dark, speak in the daylight. What's whispered in your ear, proclaim from the roofs. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, and not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your Father. And even the very hairs of your head are numbered. And here it goes again. So don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. Do not be afraid is not a good suggestion. Right? It's not a word of advice. It's a command from the high king of heaven. Just like all his other commands. Don't be afraid. He repeats it three times in the space of five verses. So why? Why shouldn't we be afraid? afraid? There's a number of reasons from this text. The first reason we shouldn't be afraid, according to this text, is because a servant's not above his master. In other words, because we're in the best of company, and I already mentioned that. He gives us two other reasons I want to point out. Look at verse 28. Do not be afraid of those who kill the body but cannot kill the soul. Rather, be afraid of the one who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Now listen, what's the antidote for fear? Want to hear something crazy? Fear. Huh? Fear is the antidote for fear. And here's what it is. Replace your fear of men with the fear of God. You get that? The old Scottish paraphrase of one of the Psalms is this. Fear God, all ye saints, and then you'll have nothing else to fear. Amen? Fear God. The worst thing that mortal man can do to us, the very worst thing is what? Kill our bodies. But even then, Jesus says, he who believes in me, though he dies, yet shall he live. We have the hope of the resurrection. We serve a risen Christ. We serve a Christ who says, he who believes in me, I too will take you to be where I am. If it were not so, what? I would have never told you so. One thing Jesus doesn't do, he doesn't lie. An old Puritan, William Gurnall, once put it this way, we fear men so much because we fear God so little. Now, that's, that's deep, right? It's like those 12 spies. We were like ant grasshoppers in their sight. They weren't looking at God, were they? Because what are these huge giants to God? Microscopic. When we're under severe pun- pressure from evil men to compromise, compromise our faith, to hedge the truth, or even deny the Lord, under the threatenings of men. It's then that our fear of God can protect us from the sinister trap, and that's what it is. It's like a trap of the fear of men. Proverbs twenty nine twenty five. Fear of man will prove to be a snare. And then Proverbs fourteen twenty seven says, The fear of the Lord is a fountain of life, turning a man from the snares of death. 
Now, I'm going to preach a little bit real quick here. One of the fears, a lot of the fear that we have today in witnessing, and let's be honest with ourselves, stems, stems from our desire to be up to date, to be modern people, to be fashionable. We don't want to be out of step with the culture, right? We don't want to look like dinosaurs, like Bible thumpers, like fundamentalists. My own mother used to call me that, you fundamentalist. I said, oh, because I believe what the Bible says? <laughs> okay, then I guess I'm a fundamentalist. J.I. Packer says this, Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms, not to propagate modern thought clothed in, clothed in Christian terms. Confusion here is fatal. I'm going to repeat it so you get this. Our business is to present the Christian faith clothed in modern terms. So in other words, in words that people can understand it. Not to propagate modern thought clothed in Christian terms. In other words, all the new ideas and weird philosophies, and yet we use Christian buzzwords to kind of disguise what we're really saying, right? People do that all the time. We must distance ourselves from the extremely inappropriate groups that picket homosexual funerals. Those people are disgusting. They have no business going to those funerals. How is that showing the love of Jesus Christ? I do want to be distanced from that. People bring up that church. I say, please. We're not associated. That's wrong. You let, let people grieve. And you mind your own business. But we must never distance ourselves from the one who lovingly, empathetically, and yet clearly called men everywhere to repent of their wickedness and trust in him. That I cannot do. Am I a follower of Jesus? Yes. Is right right and wrong wrong? Yes. Do, are we all sinners in need of a Savior? Yes. Do we have to repent of the things in our lives that don't match up with the Word of God? Yes. And the thing is, I will take the hit. The least I can do. Jesus took the hit of the wrath of God. I can't take a little ost being ostracized or mocked. During World War II, a mil military governor met with General George Patton in Sicily, as my people, I'm half Sicilian, half Nobly Don, all Italian. But anyway, just want to make sure the people are here. You know, I'm fully. I'm not one of them half-breeds like Samaritans. I'm only kidding. <laughs> just tease it. I love Samaritans. Some of my, my children are Samaritans. No, that's all right. I love them. All right. So Patton was in Sicily. Boy, did I digress. Uh, when he praised Patton highly for his courage and bravery, the general said this, Sir, I am not a brave man. The truth is, I am an utter craven coward. I have never been within the sound of gunshot or in the sight of battle in my whole life that I wasn't so scared that I had sweat in the palms of my hands. Years later, when Patton's autobiography was published, it contained this significant statement by the general. I learned very early in my life never to take counsel of my fears. Isn't that awesome? In other words, having fear is a human thing. We're going to have fear. But the question is, who are you going to take counsel for from? Your fears and let that dictate how you live your life? Or are you going to take counsel from the, from the Lord Jesus Christ? The one who loves you and who gave himself for you. Now, there's nothing wrong with fleeing to the next town when you're persecuted in another town. <laughs> 
That's what Jesus said. When you're persecuted in one town, then go to the next. Even Paul was slipped out the back one time when they were taking his life, and he went to another town to preach the gospel. But sometimes there'll be no such escape available, and we must stand firm in the Lord. They will say, say Caesar is Lord, and there'll be no way out. And like the early church, we'll have to say, I can't. Jesus is Lord. And in our culture, it's not Caesar. It's going to be the many million wicked things that our our people follow. And we're going to say, no, that's not Lord. He's not Lord. She's not Lord. Jesus is Lord. C.S. Lewis puts it pointedly when he writes this. This is the most difficult quote, but I love it. And I'll explain it. He says, courage is not simply one of the virtues, but the form of every virtue at the testing point, which means at the point of highest reality. Now listen, a chastity or honesty or mercy which yields to danger will be chaste or honest or merciful only on conditions. Pilate was merciful until it became risky. You get what he's saying? In other words, even Pontius Pilate tried to get Jesus off the hook, right? Even he wanted to display some mercy until he was on the hot seat. Then when he said, wait a minute, if I let Jesus go, you know, he did the math. If I let Jesus go, (laughs) these people are going to flip. And then I will have to pay the consequences. And then they will tell those in charge of me that I'm not a lover of Rome. And then I'm going against Caesar. You know what? (laughs) He changed, didn't he? And he led Jesus over to be flogged and crucified. And that's what C.S. Lewis is pointing out. It's only at the point of where we are willing to risk with that virtue, that it's really a virtue. It's only at the point where it's going to cost something to follow Jesus and to share his good news. Jesus mentions one other reason, another reason, two other reasons, but one other I want to mention for us not to fear. And that's our Heavenly Father's tender, loving, providential care for us. For the very same awesome God who severely punishes the souls of men who don't turn to him in trust and in fear is the loving father of all who turn in faith to Jesus Christ. Jesus says, Are not two sparrows sold for a penny, yet not one of them will fall to the ground apart from the will of your father. Think about this. These little creatures that weren't even worth a penny in Jesus' day, God has each one of their days numbered. And I remember when I lived in Dwaynesburg, New York, I was driving to a presbytery meeting, and boom, a sparrow hit my car. And I love birds. And I remember I was like shaking. I was troubled for a while there. I'm like, I can't believe I hit that sparrow. But you know what God showed me? God showed me that that was that sparrow's time. That he loves even the sparrows. He cares even for them. And when it's time to take them, he'll take them. And we're worth way more than many sparrows. So your heavenly father knows every one of your hairs and they're counted. Not one of them's coming out of your head unless he says, "I, right, you can go. He did that a lot for me. <laughs> but that's all right. That means we can be as bold as lions. We still need to be wise and shrewd. But we don't have to be afraid, Amen. No one's taking your life until God says it's your time. So we can go and trust God knowing that our times are in his hands. Last thing I want to mention because our time is short. 
We need to be determined. We need to be daring. Last of all, and briefly, we need to be devoted. Look at verse 32. Whoever acknowledges me before men, I will also acknowledge him before my Father in heaven. But whoever disowns me before men, I will disown him before my Father in heaven. One commentator puts it this way. If as we stand before the throne, the Savior says, Father, this person was not ashamed of me in the midst of the unbelieving throng. He endured hardship for my namesake and honored me both in confession and behavior. If he can so speak of us, will that not be ample compensation for any tribulation we have known here? Put it in English. It's all worth it to me if on that great and terrible day, Jesus takes me and goes, Father, he stood the test. When so many fell by the wayside, when so many said, I can't go any further, this is too much. He stood his ground and he acknowledged me before men. Angels, listen to this. He's mine. Amen? That's what we had to look to. That's what we had to look forward to. We can't be so short-sighted Can't worry about glory here. This life is short enough as it is. The key to being determined and daring in our witness is our devotion to Christ. And here's the real question I want to leave with you this morning. Do you really love Jesus? You say you're His. Let me ask you this. What have you done recently simply and only because you love Jesus? Can you think of anything? Not to say it out loud. I want you to think between you and God. Or what have you stopped doing in your life simply because you love Jesus and you know He doesn't like it? No other reason. That's the bottom line. I'll be honest. I I don't like being in in a closed area where bullets are flying over my head. You? (laughs) Folks who live in those communities don't like it. Amen? But Jesus says, go. Share my love with them. There are a lot of sinful things that I enjoy, which I don't have to mention here. But God says, that does not glorify me. It is not good for you. And it doesn't help other people. It only leads them astray. So stop it. It's not good. One of the things, we'll close with this that God commands us to do is to tell other people about him. To risk it. To risk the relationship. To go to a parent, to go to a friend, to go to a neighbor and tell them about Jesus. You know they might shut the door and say, I want nothing to do with you now. But do we love them enough? Do we love Jesus enough? And do we love them enough to chance it? And Jesus said, don't be afraid of what they can do because they can only take body. Be afraid of him who can take body and soul and throw it into hell. Because if you fear him, you'll have nothing else to fear, not even witnessing. Amen? This Sunday sermon was preached by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo. New City's Sunday sermon is recorded live on location at New City Fellowship of Atlantic City. If you're in the Atlantic City area, stop by. Our address is 5215 Wellington Plaza, Ventnor, New Jersey. 
Worship is at 10 o'clock a.m. every Sunday. Visit us online at newcityac.org. That's www.newcityac.org. You Are is written by the Reverend Dr. Santo Garofolo and performed by the New City Fellowship of Atlantic City's Praise Band. Join us next week for a brand new New Cities Sunday Service.